see. We have a very special guest coming up in just a minute. Secret Society's Mind Control and Deprogramming for a full hour. Those are the subjects we're going to get very involved with examining uh, for the past, uh, the next hour as we uh, simply point on those issues with Alan Watts, who's calling all the way from Ontario, Canada. And Alan Watt uh, was on Coast to Coast AM uh, about 10 days ago. Alan, how are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Glad you were able to uh, make it on the show tonight. Yes, so am I. My, my other phone just packed in, so I'm, I'm pretty lucky. <laughs> So uh, tell my audience and myself a little bit about uh, your experience on uh, shortwave radio. On shortwave, uh, it's been quite the roller coaster. Um, I, I, uh, I looked around for media that was different from the regular uh, spins we hear every day at 6 o'clock. And then I found out that the, the shortwave was much the same. Um, it was almost catering for the dissatisfied ones, and yet not really taking them any further into the real causes behind uh, what's happening today. What exactly is happening today, according to your research, Alan? It's, it's really... Um, it's open. Uh, uh, it's called the open conspiracy, as H.G. Wells called it. Um, uh, it's a planned society. Everything that happens in a major way in society globally is literally planned by uh, huge organizations uh, very high up. Uh, uh, Professor Carl Quigley basically documented most of it in his two books, uh, The Tragedy and Hope and the tie-in for the Council on Foreign Relations, which really makes the policy for the United States. Um, and that was called the Anglo-American Establishment. Um, so th they have global meetings, they have many sub-meetings, they, they call them circles, or, or, and they also call them round table discussions on a variety of uh, social topics. Uh, politicians are invited, many of them belong to these organizations. Uh, most bureaucrats at the top are invited because they're even more important and they, they plan out your future uh, at, the, at these private meetings. Before we dig very deeply into these topics, how did you discover the New World Order, the secret society you talk about, and things of that nature? I, I realized um, really from very early on in life that uh, uh, things were vastly different uh, than they were being presented to the general public, even when I was a child. I grew up in a Britain that was supposedly was the, the benefactor of a world empire, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know anybody who was wealthy at all in my area. And I wondered, well, where did all this money go for this empire? And just with a little bit of study and, and going into history books, you find out that a clique in London had basically pillaged a good part of the world, uh, used the British taxpayer for the troops, and to, to finance their projects, laying down railroads in India and so on. And uh, they, they looted these companies, but the, the British taxpayer didn't see any of it. So I knew there was a, a much different government, really, a different system in place than your 6 o'clock news version. Now, and since 9-11, there has been a, what some have called a major boom in conspiracy nuts. Um, what is your perspective on perhaps what happened on 9-11 and this major rush 
to the Internet and to cable access and places like that for information on what's really going on on this planet today? Well, I think we can go even further back with 9-11 because um, in the 70s, uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski, who had been, uh, he's been an advisor to presidents, beginning, I think, with Jimmy Carter, right up to the present one, uh, and he was head of the State Department and Department for War and the military and all the rest of it. Uh, he put a book out in the 70s um, uh, uh, called, the, the, uh, I think it was Between Two Ages. And in Between Two Ages, he talked about, uh, in the Technotronic era, a chapter, that was the name of the chapter, he described uh, a system that would be given to the public of communication, which would be given globally and the public would adapt to it very quickly but its real function was to monitor the public and, and also to create a new world culture through indoctrination by electronic means he then went on to talk about higher weaponry um, uh, along this, the lines of the scalar technology the, the Tesla technology which would be used to alter the behavior of the public without them even knowing and, and so he's a very high uh, guy who deals in speciality of warfare, uh, telling you what was going to happen in the near future. And then out comes the Internet years later uh, along that very path that he talked about. And we know that for total security uh, and the total informa information network, these guys mean total. That means everybody. Everybody must have be um, observed, understood, personality profiled, uh, followed down through their life, and that the, uh, the computer is essential for this part of it. And then when we get into uh, his book written in the late 90s um, called The Grand Chessboard, he discusses the necessity for the United States to take over from Britain as the world power for the new American century, which he belonged to, this club. And he describes the attack formula beginning with Afghanistan, then Iraq, then Iran, then Syria. And lo and behold, it, but he said, though, we need something to motivate the American public for war, something on the scale of a Pearl Harbor event. And bingo, you get 9-11 happening, and they go right off into Afghanistan, then, then Iraq, the same formula. Now, you couldn't have that kind of luck uh, in, in real life. Uh, this was planned, obviously. And with Brzezinski, because uh, I know what you're saying is true, because I've looked at the Grand Chessboard, um, he would even refer to certain people in different parts of the world as barbarians. Yes, uh-huh. And that, that, of course, is what even the ancient Romans did when they went plundering and creating their tax base. Uh, they said we're off to, to give civilization to the barbarians. Uh, we're off to bring democracy to the, to the barbarians, yeah. Okay, so, Alan, so what we have here, you know, we can't spend all night on that. Countless quotes from these would-be dictators. Uh, Quigley, uh, you have Kissinger, uh, Brzezinski, George W. Bush. In their documents, they admit what they do. Yeah. A lot of people get caught up in a phony left-right paradigm in some of these situations. I believe Brzezinski fits that particular description because he's uh, kind of recognized to be somewhat of a liberal uh, in our society because uh, he's given some speeches against the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was 
that book on technology that you spoke of earlier, Potato Mind Control, the same book and work he created that attracted the attention of David Rockefeller and the Trilateral Commission. That, that's right, that's right. I mean, they all belong to the same thing. Um, the, the Trilateral Commission was, was again, an offshoot, uh, a specialized compartment of the CFR uh, to bring about uh, a three-part uh, integration of the Americas, the Canada, the U.S., and Latin America. That was their main function. It was also to help integrate the three main parts of the world, uh, United Americas, a United Europe, and a, and a Pacific Rim unification. So the Trilateral Commission is right up there uh, in the high echelons of power, sure. So one of these goals, supposedly, of the New World Order, according to your research and many others, is to eliminate border. Yeah. Now, immigration is the number one topic uh, on the newspapers, in the newspapers of the George W. Bush right now. Then again, his policies are connected to immigration, of course, with his connection with Teddy Fox. Very close relationship. Mm-hmm. My question for you is, what is your perspective on the immigration issue and what it's really about? I, I think it's... Um it's planned this way. Um, what you'll find in all of their plans, uh, it's like Albert Pike, the Freemason, said, we never uh, create a premature revolution. We lay the groundwork over many, many years. And we are seeing the, the effects of a plan, which is already sealed and delivered. And that was the free trade negotiations and the NAFTA deal, which says right in there, for anybody that wants to read it, the free flow of goods and labor across what were once national boundaries. And so you're simply seeing the effects begin of what was planned years ago. Right. Now, I was talking with Anthony J. Hilder the other day, and you were talking about National ID cards. He made a podcast with Anthony J. Hilder. It's on uh, myspace.com plus Instagram to hear it now. But uh, he was providing his perspective on the immigration issue. And he believes it's a move to push us towards the national ID card, not just the national, but more, nonetheless, the national ID card of those three countries you're talking about, Canada, America, and Mexico. Yeah, it's even more than that, because uh, you see, in the late 90s, uh, the House of Lords, which is like the Senate of Britain, uh, tried to put through the same thing then. It was a national ID card for Britain. And in 98, Alan Rock, that was the, the, the basically the Canada's Attorney General at the time, um, put through a, an omnibus crime bill, which is the same as the Patriot Act in 98 and everybody was scratching their heads saying well what's this is a wartime measure act and in there they talked about ID cards so the ID card was on the table before 9-11 came along and recently Canada's admitted well now that the US is going along with it and Britain's already got it well we can't be left behind this is how they rationalize things to us and that they admitted in Canada it's the same card as the United States and it's an international ID card it isn't just national it's international and there's also a space on it uh, in the British report uh, for your future cashless society your banking will be done through it too all your transactions so this was planned a long time ago and these guys, are, of course, are using this as the, 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 the reason to get it into place, to get people to accept it. Okay. So from what I gather, these groups are here, their documents are public, so maybe we should be looking at about now what they're doing today in our society as opposed to what they're saying on CNN. Uh, I'm going to cover just a few articles 
uh, at this time. We're going to go to report number one. And uh, this is from the Washington Times just a few days ago. And this is an update on where the CIA is with mining rich content from the blog. It goes on to say that Bush and U.S. policymakers are receiving more intelligence from open sources such as Internet blogs and foreign newspapers than they previously did. Now, the new open source center, known as the OSC, at the CIA headquarters, recently stepped up data collection and analysis based on bloggers worldwide and is developing new methods to gauge the reliability of the content. Uh, in the next article, right after that, it's just a simple update on how more and more high-tech mavericks <coughs> are taking the chip. And this, of course, is giving uh, coverage to Amal Grasta, who was on Outside the Box last month. Alan, I mean, yep. these, are, these are things that would... These stories I read every week are things that would freak someone out 10, 15 years ago. Yes, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what they do is um, they, they keep their pulse on the public opinion all the time, and they give us our opinion anyway. We only parrot what they give us to talk about, and that's what a blog is really. It's our reaction to their information to see how we're, we're, we're reacting to it or not reacting to it. And this is the oldest game in the book because uh, Britain was used to hire thousands of people and they send them abroad to, to the Middle East, etc. Well financed to, to begin newspapers. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia was, was uh, discussed this in his own book, The Seven Pillars of Wisdom. He was recruited at Cambridge amongst uh, a whole bunch of the elite finance sent off to, to the Middle East. They each started up newspapers to give the Arabs their conversations. Then they hired people to go around the bars to find out if those conversations were being discussed. So it's a form of, of um, uh, giving an opinion and then seeing what the reaction to, of the public uh, happens to be. This is a better method since they've given us the computer. Um, they have instant access to, to what we're thinking about, talking about, and, and that's how they can also head off at the pass uh, any real reaction to it. So, yeah. Alan, if this organization known as the Illuminati, which you know, you've touched on, if, if they're there and they're so sophisticated you plan out all these different aspects of our reality what we see on TV what we hear on the radio what really happened on 9-11 and the information about that if they're able to control so much they must have a very firm ideology and belief system that may be something different than Christianity what has your research led you to believe? Uh, there's no doubt um, <clears throat> there's no doubt whatsoever they have their own religion and it truly is an, uh, uh, the, 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 the most elitist, elitist religion that could possibly be. It's based on elitism and, and the, the rights of, of the, the, the real intelligentsia to dominate the lessers, as they call them. Um, that's really what really high Freemasonry is all about. The right of the supposed genius to dominate the, the lesser man and uh, use them. Albert Pike said it very clearly when he said that a person who will not use their own reason is therefore meat on the table and a beast of burden by choice and consent. In other words, it was the right of those with, with the ability to see that to use such people uh, as slaves, basically. But a lot of these characters that you're talking about, you know, and you can go ahead and start naming names. There's a guy who called in and he was looking for very, very specific names. Um, 
what exactly is their belief system if it's not Christianity? Because many of them do profess to be Christians. Well, they can, because in the occult uh, tradition, um, you can go through all religions which are authorized religions, and you will find the same esoteric meanings embedded within them all because the Illuminati is so, uh, an ancient organization. It is not a new one at all. It didn't start with Adam Weishaupt. He just popped his head up with one branch in history. It's been here for thousands of years. And uh, they believe at the top uh, very strongly uh, in a, a reincarnation of their own family dynasties in other words spirits coming back within the same family lineages time after time and that's how they rationalize their intellect and their knowledge and their ability to handle uh, the lesser humans as they call them Can you articulate uh, what you mean by bloodline and differentiate the bloodline that David Icke talks about um, it, it's um when you re understand the esoteric, the, the occult, um, they believe uh, what they say themselves, and you'll find the ancient Greeks talked about this in their writings, the different philosophers, they believe that the knowledge that they have came to them uh, because they were superior spirits who came to earth uh, as rebels, you might say, and they were higher than the people who lived here already and because of that uh, they could shape or create by willing matter to form perfect bodies for the first generation to inhabit and then when they interbred with the people here who are here already uh, they began to lose these powers hence the need to get back to interbreeding and family lineage to try and keep or regain those powers and you'll find that in some of their old esoteric books where they talked about it and uh, as I say the Greek philosophers went into it in more detail but they, they, they never went into this reptile stuff that's a, a, that's a new creation of the Illuminati in looking at this information do you think that uh the control that the mainstream media has, at least through the time art, uh, the, the time-crafted art of propaganda uh, and spin-doctoring every single story. Do you think there's a way that that may break, that a bubble may burst, that something's going to happen in the media where information starts to flood out because you can't stop it? It may, it may actually, at a certain time when the media itself understands. Uh, that where they're going will eliminate the media itself. Uh, where they're going with the chipping, uh, the card is only one step towards uh, an actual inserted chip in your brain. I mean, that's where it's going. And uh, that's, that's, that's been discussed at university meetings, world scientific meetings like Loyola University. Um, they've discussed doing this. They have them ready to go. They just have to convince the public to take them. Once this is done, there'll be no individualism as we know it. That's what they said in, in the 600 pages that came out of Loyola. They said that uh, it'll be more like a hive mentality where central computers will be uh, conveying information to and for, from everybody uh, in an area. I mean, Alan, that is amazing. I mean, you'd think it would be enough to control our media. 
There are uh, there is a local merger that will be happening here in town between the WB and uh, UPN. They are merging, and there is also another bill, actually several, that have been introduced in the House and Senate to eliminate cable access. There are now multiple bills. Yeah. Uh, it's almost as if they're competing to see which one is going to get passed first. And I think for a sec, if they would pass the Patriot Act and leave it on the books, leave that as law for so long, what would stop them from doing that to cable access? So I'm very concerned uh, about getting information out as soon as possible. Now, what kind of stuff have you been doing on the Internet now since you stopped doing the shortwave radio show? I've been trying to point out to people uh, how mind control is basically working upon them, how their opinions are given to them, in a way they're downloaded to them, and uh, I'm trying to tell them uh, that if you don't start to, to ask the obvious questions now, it will be game over very shortly. I mean, we have really, if, if a fraction of the laws on that Patriot Act are actually put into effect, you'll see a worse horror than the Soviet Union ever had because it's far, far more totalitarian in all of its aspects. And uh, what gets me is we've been all trained, you see, that all you do is vote somebody in and, and then you go back to sleep for four or five years and, and people should think what they're doing when they're voting at all. Now, you're giving power to an individual whether it's for, for a, a local organization uh, or, or a school board council or your local government council, um, you're giving power to someone to make laws that are going to affect your life. And you better find out what organizations they belong to and which, which uh, Masonic and Masonic-related organizations they belong to and who they've already given oaths and allegiance to because you're giving them the power to rule you. People don't seem to get that, you know. Alan, when we come back, I want to touch on the mind control that you spoke of and also talk about the deprogramming that you also talk about and write about in your book. Mm -hmm. Stick around, I want to hold you over our next break. It'll be pretty quick. Alan, tell me, what kind of mind control is being used on human beings alive today? It's, uh, the mind control is, is, is everything, it's overall, it's a whole system of, of a technique of thinking, a way of thinking, um, uh, e even the way that language is used, to, to, to the, it's called psycholinguistics in fact, where they can actually use particular language which um, stimulates uh, subconscious responses in the person without a conscious um, understanding the, the subconscious eventually works on you and you will start to accept ideas which you haven't consciously thought out but you accept those ideas as either possibilities or realities and it's done many times through repetition lots of repetition uh, this was mentioned by Bertrand Russell who was a bigwig in the mind control business. Uh, uh, he helped, helped to formulate the techniques of schooling and kindergarten to use scientific techniques to indoctrinate children so that their parental influence would have no effect when they went back home. The scientific indoctrination would be so powerful. 
and so in the impact of science on society he tells you quite clearly what the agenda is and, and, and how it was going to be introduced into the public's minds where they create a, a, a way of thinking or looking at life and really what it is is a way of not thinking you're simply being given your opinions which you don't question there are specific techniques which are used to make this happen and then of course Aldo Huxley who worked for the Tavistock Institute um, put out predictive programming uh, books with like, like Brave New World and Brave New World gave you this future where, where everyone's bred basically in test tubes along the lines of Plato's Republic where you're, you're bred for a specific job so if you need a big person for something they'll make you a big person and a small squat guy for a minor who's not too bright and doesn't ask many questions so Aldo Huxley was put out there to, to introduce that concept of possibility into the human consciousness so that really in a fictional form we don't critically analyze it as we, as we do if it's presented in, in a, a lecture type format but in, on my website you can get his talk at Berkeley University which he gave about 1962 and he mentions at the very beginning he'd just come from a major uh, meeting, a world meeting to do with mass mind control now what are the big elites doing having world meetings about mass mind control unless they want to use it on the public and they do Alan, I think one, one aspect of what you say mind control, I mean things that people have called chemtrails, I haven't been able to find the information that I'm looking for, mm -hmm. I'm satisfied with, make a case to do a whole show on chemtrails. Mm -hmm. There is a, a major lack of information about chemtrails. Yeah. Um, but what I do want to know uh, is what exactly are those things that are up there for 12 hours at a time. The other day, I was starting my day early and seeing the trails be sprayed about 8, 9 in the morning. Now mm -hmm. that light out at night, it's about 9 o'clock at night, I'm at a pizza place, and I look up, and they're still there. Mm -hmm. So, they're obviously not contrails, I just want to know what they are, because there's a lot of uh, silence surrounding this particular issue. It, it, yes, in fact, that's the ominous part about it, is the total news black. No, no reporter is going to risk his reputation uh, and job by mentioning this. This is of vital importance. This began in earnest. I mean, it was tested many years ago, even in Britain, back in the 50s. And it was from Hellier, from, from the H-bomb, that talked about spraying the whole atmosphere with aluminum oxide and so on, uh, which would make it more conducive to electromagnetic pulse radiation, the same stuff that Brzezinski talked about in the technotronic era. They would use this formula. And I do have an analysis done by a, a lab. I'm going to put up the, the, the findings on my site. And it does contain these, these particular um, metal particles, including copper. There's copper, aluminum oxide, uh, barium, and titanium traces there. So these are all metallic salts and, uh, to make it more the atmosphere more conducive, almost like a circuit. That's why we're getting electrical shocks, static shocks in the summer when it should be high humidity. Uh, the aluminum oxide is gathering, is, is hydroscopic, it grabs the moisture and takes it right down to the actual ground itself. And so the air is dry when it should be high humidity in the summer. Um, so this began in earnest when this, the, the countries signed the Open Sky Treaty with the United Nations.
And supposedly, this gave foreign pilots the ability or right to fly their aircraft over your space. But I've been getting to wonder if, if this is a Dr. Strangelove policy where, where we go over and spray someone else's skies and, and some other country comes over and sprays us because um, there's more to it than simply observing uh, to see if you're disarming uh, as you need be under the treaty. There's far, far more to the Open Sky Treaty and, and this strange silence is tremendously ominous. Um, everyone's get, getting hacking coughs with this. Everyone's uh, got bronchitis in some degree or another. Um, we know in certain areas that the small birds are not appearing. I think they're the first to die with this stuff. And uh, this is ridiculous what's going on. It's a day and night job, sometimes 24 hours a day and night in some areas. Uh, of a worst-case scenario, leaving uh, 2 million dead uh, during the worldwide flu pandemic, and also 90 million people in the United States dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this is uh, more preparation for what the same could happen. I think this is exactly what the Council on Foreign Relations does to panic people. And a good example is what uh, Professor Carl Quigley, who was the who was the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations, he gets his data from their their records. And he tells you that the, the Council on Foreign Relations in Britain, which is called the Royal Institute of International Affairs in Britain, uh, met uh, four years prior to World War II, decided they'd have to motivate the public in preparation for the war to get them ready for it, or to want it even. And so they decided to constantly terrify the public that they're going to get gassed every day by Hitler, and Hitler had millions of tons of poisonous gases. They, they got the people so panicked that they, they then introduced the evacuation of the bills to get all the children out of the main cities. So families were split up. Uh, they asked the king then to, to make plans to get to make a speech to get the public to dig up trenches in London. And this was all phony. And, and quickly said that he says they knew that Hitler didn't have any of these gases. It was simply to keep the people in a state of terror while the government expanded its bureaucracies in preparation for the war and get the the people to such a fever pitch that when war broke out they'd actually heave a sigh of relief and this is the same technique that's been used right now as pure panic creation It's it's not a war on terror this is a reign of terror on the public's minds now we are in a police state control grid surveillance society here for us and our family, and, and it seems like there's nothing we can do about it. It seems that way. I don't believe that, but it seems that way at times when you look at how sophisticated this system of control is really getting. What do you see in the next five to ten years with the escalation of the militarization of the police? Uh, yes, um, and th- this build-up for police has been going on under the supposed war on drugs for at least 15 years as they've built up uh, more and more police forces, this internal army, really. And uh, and most of the recruits now, apparently 95% of all U.S. policemen who are coming into to, to police forces are all coming in straight from the military. So they've been trained already in the kicking down of the doors and grabbing people and, and so on. Uh, you're looking at a worse tyranny 
that any any country or system has ever seen before. This, this is going to be the tyranny of all tyrannies as this comes down. If you or I woke up tomorrow in Los Angeles with news, whether it was a government-sponsored terrorist attack or otherwise, we would find ourselves permanently in martial law. Do you think, uh, are you in agreement with me on that, or do you have a different, uh, I mean... Oh, there's no doubt. What we're, what we're on the verge of in mm -hmm. another event, real or manufactured, mm -hmm. permanently usher major United States cities right here, to be L.A. or New York, permanent state of martial law on the record. Yes, yes, there's no doubt. In, in fact, it, it was um, Henry Kissinger who made the statement uh, when he said that the United Nations would be welcome in, uh, in America. He said, uh, under the right circumstances, and he was talking in California at the time, he, he said, uh, under the right circumstances, the people will, will welcome them in. And uh, these guys don't talk, uh, get these vague statements for no reason. It's because they know there's an agenda there. They know the agenda long in advance. And, yeah. What, what is the average American's life going to be in a major urban city in the next five years? The, the, the ominous part is to do with the, the, what they want for the drastic uh, depopulation program. Uh, these guys are serious on this. Uh, they want the rural areas cleaned out and people put in habitat areas uh, as per the United Nations. Uh, this is not a new idea because when the French Revolution was underway, it was the same boys behind the French Revolution, and they started culling off people in the rural areas. Um, and they had, they had it all mapped out as to how many people there should be uh, every few kilometers. Uh, they had an actual uh, perfect number list, and they were killing off uh, thousands and thousands of peasants to reduce the population. This is the same bunch behind this, this present agenda today, and they mean business. So when I look at mainstream media today, CNN and Fox especially, and all of them are lined up on Comcast and every other digital network uh, corporate package of the official line, you know, what I can't help but notice is the hypnotic repetition of the messages, the codes, yeah. the emotions that they try to draw in the viewer. Now, you talked a little bit on Coast to Coast with George Norrie about deprogramming. Uh, there's some information on your website, cityofthematrix.com. Can you elaborate on exactly what you mean by deprogramming? The deprogramming is, is number one, you've got to understand how the programming works. And you're quite correct with the repetition. Uh, Bertrand Russell uh, and, and the impact of science on society, uh, he put that down there, that repetition is a form of psychic driving. This is the term used by the mind control experiments of the CIA um, in cahoots with the Canadian uh, security services that Dr. Ewan Cameron had in the 1960s through constant repetition that you couldn't escape from. Um, it, it, it causes a tremendous fear and, and a feeling of inevitability so that when the, the object that you are terrified of starts to rear its head, you're already paralyzed. You, you don't react. You don't try to, to evade it. You, you allow it to happen. And that's the key. You allow it to happen. We saw this with the, with the, 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 the repetition of weapons of mass destruction. Everybody at the top was, was coming out of these meetings and parroting the same terms through phrases. Now, Lenin, who, who knew much more about mass psychology because he was trained by better bankers, 
uh, Lenin said that through repetition and, and through slogans we shall conquer the minds of the people and that's exactly the techniques they're using on us today so to understand deprogramming you must understand how you are programmed and it's primarily through simple repetition uh, uh, by people who are figures of authority and you've been trained to see them as figures of authority and, and that, that gets right down into your sub subconscious mind psychological warfare uh, works because it's meant to uh, incapacitate an enemy before he actually does anything he, he's beaten before he begins and this is psychological warfare to a very sophisticated level by the use of radio, television and repetition I think that from what I've observed in the past, what I'm seeing today, and what I'm forecasting for tomorrow, violence, anger, rage, the infighting, the division, the left-right paradigm, it seems that if we are to change what's happening, we have to lift the veil and see through those divisions uh, and see them as what they are, illusions. And I think this is the time for people of all religions to find out what spirituality truly means for them in their own hearts. I think that's the key to it, and I think also that the people who put themselves in racial groups should understand that that's the easiest way to have them into conflict, to give leaders to all groups, you see. It's a standard procedure. They give you the leaders. Albert Pike said it, when the people need a leader, we shall supply him in all sides. And so you end up in conflict, which is chaos, and then they come forward with their new order, the solution to the chaos. So don't follow those who are advocating the, 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 the violent way. Uh, we, we're, we're talking about masters of war. They understand violence and how to control it, so you cannot use their methods against them. They can package a Hollywood film or create a character that's going to violence on the government and promote that and people watch that because mm -hmm. at least it builds the entertainment uh, need. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So see, you, you, you cannot beat this system by using this system. And this system hasn't given you a complaints department. There's no complaints department here, folks. And so I tell people, you have to be your own champion. You must think for yourself and say, what is good for me and what is good for others? And then you must demand, and I mean demand, to know all of the associations that your little local councillor belongs to and has sworn allegiance to. And then you'll find an incredible network right up to the top of the spider web of, of as they say, Illuminati. It's all connected. It's all one. Their hope. Their hope for humanity. Can we dig ourselves out of this grave? Well, this is a deciding moment, actually, because because uh, I, I don't know how many might come through here. Um, many people will love uh, socialism to an extent. That this new type of socialism, where you don't have to make any decisions for yourself, is all done for you by the state. Um, others will not. And however, though I think the Achilles heel of these elitists is that as they begin to see their goal fulfilled, they must start infighting amongst themselves because they are power crazy. That's something they cannot stop. It's part of their, their whole persona. So they will turn on themselves. And during that period, we must not take sides. They want us to take sides, which they will then lead. We must let them destroy each other. Yeah. 
great having you on the show. I really was glad you were able to come on, and I'd actually like to do it again sometime in the future. That'd be a pleasure, yeah. Okay, thanks. All right, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye now. That was Alan Watts calling all the way in from Hong Kong.